because you noticed when you came in, 37 days to autonomy. And we constituted officially as a church last week at our members meeting where we chose and accepted our constitution. And uh, it's exciting. And so what we're going to do for the next next month or so is just look at what it means to be Battleground Community Church in light of God's Word. And so if you've got a copy of God's Word, and I hope you do this morning, there's some in the back. If you don't, 1 Peter chapter 2. This is the place we must begin, brothers and sisters, and the worship team has done such a wonderful job at pointing us both to the Redeemer and the redeemed this morning. So stand with me if you have it. 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to read verses 9 to verse 12. As I was reminded this week, and as I have reminded many of those that I have spoke to this week, brothers and sisters, this book is the only authority we have. And so we stand this morning to say, I am who it says I am. And I'm going to do exactly what it says I must do. And so let's be reminded of that this morning as we read verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So God, this is your word and you have just said something about us. You've just told us the very purpose for which we live and breathe and have our being. So God, help us as your redeemed community gathered together this morning to understand who we are to orient us towards Christ and to show us and remind us and encourage us of our purpose. This we pray in our Lord, our Savior, our brother, the name Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. You can be seated. So if I ask you this question, what is church? What would you say? Not with the words in your mouth, but with your life, with your actions, or in other words, did you get up this morning and come to church, or did the church get up this morning and gather together? That is not semantics. That determines, that affects our purpose. And I know this morning and in the weeks to come, I'm going to say some things to challenge all of us. It's already challenging me. I'm simply asking you to look at God's word because we breathe air, brothers and sisters, as, as, as redeemed. We breathe air in it. Sometimes it sounds like Jesus is my personal Savior. 
And the church, church is just the place I go so I can grow in my personal walk. So what do we do? We simply shop around to the best church until we find the best there we breathe. I can grow in my personal walk with Jesus. There we breathe. My question is simple. To, to simply give us a month and look at God's word and say, is that biblical? Are we willing? Dare we touch our framework this morning? And over the next, I just want us to ask a question. What is church? And here's my working definition that I want us to work out over the next month. It is a redeemed community with a clear purpose. And so, the purpose of Battleground Community Church is to glorify God through Christ-exalting worship as we grow together in biblical community while going with the gospel to all peoples. The question is, did, did we just sort of get together and decide on that? Where did that come from? Well, that's what I want us to look at over the next few weeks because 1 Peter 2, 9-12 is where it came from. It's where Parkwood Baptist Church the glorify, grow, and go, that has been our purpose statement for all these years, has been that it comes from this text. And I want us to see also, it also comes from Acts 2, 42 to 47. We're going to look at that in a few weeks. You see, First Peter tells us our identity and tells us our purpose. But Acts 2, 42 tells you how to apply it. It gives you a model. So this is my question this morning that I want us to all ask over the top of everything. It's the purpose of the series is what is the church based off what God's word not only says, but what it has given us a model to follow. We're going to use those two texts as launching points to simply look at scripture. But let's get into this text this morning then, First Peter. So one of the first rules that we do when we look at a text is to say, okay, let me understand the context. Who wrote it? Who, who is he writing to? So look up at 1 Peter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for the sprinkling with his blood. Now, that's an introduction. <laughs> this is a lot. We're going to come back to this in a minute. But I just want you to be very clear this morning. What's the most obvious thing that should jump off the text to you is this is redeemed. This letter is written to the elect exiles. That word means chosen. We're going to talk about that in a minute. These are written to believers, those who have been foreknown by God and have been redeemed by Christ. That's what it says. Well, who's the author? Someone tell me. It's the easiest question of the day. Peter. Why was he called Peter? Thought his name was Simon. Rock. It's important. This, this is, if we don't, if we don't put that in your radar this morning, the context won't make, won't hit you. So have this in your mind this morning. Now look down at chat, look at chapter two, look at verses four to eight. It sets the context for the text we read. Peter, remember he's the rock, 
what Jesus named him. On upon his rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. That Peter, look at verse 4. And see, this is a framework issue that I'm talking about. The way that glasses we wear, you need to try this morning in many of these texts, in most of these texts, to think more corporately than just merely individually. Look at verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in, in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Pause for a second. Remember when you hear repeated words in Scripture. It's important. Verse 5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Verse 6, for it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. So what has the stone just said? Do you see he's speaking corporately? He's, he's saying a couple things. One, he clearly says Jesus is the cornerstone. Have you got that picture up here? So this is the literal cornerstone of, the, of, the, of a Presbyterian church. It's one of the clearest pictures I've found to help understand what Peter's saying. So, so Peter is not saying, I'm this individual stone, and the purpose of everything is that I might grow. He's saying, Jesus Christ is the cornerstone, and then we then are living stones that are oriented towards the cornerstone. Determines the angle of the church, the angle of the building that is building. They're all connected to the cornerstone. They are oriented toward the cornerstone. what he's saying is like you know the the redeemed there are those that are oriented towards the cornerstone they're the ones that are being built up into a building but those that rejected the corner the cornerstone just became a stumbling block to them they stumbled over it remember the shepherd illustration the staff and he's moving these things that, that cause stumbling in the sheep's life said for those who don't believe Jesus becomes that Jesus spoke to this exact picture in Luke 20. I don't believe it's not in your notes. In verse 17, just listen to what Jesus said. This is his words. What then is that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. So Jesus says, I'm the cornerstone. And those who stumble over me will be crushed by me. That's what Peter is saying, not only when he said he's a stone of stumbling, he's a rock of offense. That could literally be a rock bed that if you fall into it, you're going to be crushed. The context is everything this morning. Because when we now, we begin to see Peter's point is the Lord has a redeemed people. And they're a people. And so he contrasts them here. He's, 
He's talking about those who did not believe, those who are stumbled over Christ. And in verse 9, he says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. The but you contrast the believer who is oriented to Jesus Christ and everybody else. Every other religion, every other person who says, I trust God, but I do not take your Jesus, everybody else. This is a distinction. Who's he speaking to? He's speaking to the redeemed. It says, but you. So how did they become God's people? Well, the, the verse tells us in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. He said to those who are elect in the dispersion, he lists where they're from, to the, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit for the obedience of Jesus Christ. What does it say? It says they are chosen by God and redeemed in Christ. According to the foreknowing love of God the Father. That's what it says. It's important. Because he's telling these redeemed who they are. Where they derive their identity. You are redeemed because of God the Father. Foreknew you. And in time, the sprinkling of the blood was applied to you. And so now that he has told them how they became God's people. It goes into a little bit of the nature of the redeemed. What's the nature of the redeemed? First, they're a chosen race. Here we have that word again. We shouldn't be afraid of that word. That word is part of that foundation of who you are. You're a chosen race. Simply means you, we've got a common ancestor. And his name is Jesus. We have a common father. It's God. Race has always been a big topic. We were laughing about it this morning, even though it's not really funny, because I went to a public high school around here where race was always an issue. Child of God, what identifies you today is not the melanin content or the pigmentation on your skin. It is who your father is and who your brother is. If he is not Christ, you are not in the family. And if he is, you are all, you're my family. And it doesn't matter anything else other than you are a chosen race. He didn't stop there. He says you're also a royal priesthood. You see, only Christ fulfilled that. We cannot be a royal priesthood. This is both a king and a priest. Royal, kingly priesthood. Remember the wise men? Who is this is born king of the Jews? Matthew 2, 2. Hebrews 4, 15. Since we have such a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. He is our king. He is our priest. Remember Melchizedek in Genesis 14? Had no beginning, had no end. God appointed him to point to the point to Christ because he was both the king and the priest. You see, redemption unites us to Christ so that we too become royal priests. That's why we as a church believe in the priesthood of all believers. We approach God. We get the privilege of approaching God in our service, in our worship, and in our fellowship. We are a holy nation separated for God. 
was always the point to the Old Testament that God's people understood that they were holy. Just what he's going for. He's going to his holiness in Peter. Exodus 19, Peter is just using the Old Testament. Exodus 19, 6. It says, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Listen, repeated words and all through scripture. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Nations is the word ethnos. It means people groups. It's when we go to evangelize, we're looking not just for continents, not just for countries. We're looking for individual people groups, people with a cultural and a language. That's where we bring the gospel to. Here it says, you are a holy ethnos. That word began with people that was even a blood relationship. We are a holy nation. And you're only holy, not because of what you've done, but because the imputed righteousness of Christ. He has counted you holy. That is your motivation for holiness. And that is your ability for it. We're a holy nation. And look what else it says. A people for his own possession. Again, he's using the Old Testament to point to, to help people understand who they are. Deuteronomy 7, 6. It's almost exactly what Exodus 19 says. But he adds something here to this in Deuteronomy. Listen to this. For you, verse 6, for you are a people holy to the Lord. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Let's get to verse 7. It is not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord has set his love on you and chose you, for you are the fewest of all the peoples. That ought to humble you and set you free this morning. He says, I have chose you. I have set. Look, look at this. He has taken his love and he has set it on an unworthy people. He said, I didn't pick you because you were so many, because you had so much to offer. I chose you, and I've set my love on you that you may do something with that. That you may be a holy nation. That you may be mine. That's what possession is. It is to acquire at a great price. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 says that you were ransomed. Got through singing that, didn't we? Not from something perishable, not from something temporary, but through, verse 19, the blood of Christ. You have been bought if you're the redeemed. Your life belongs to Him. And for those that are redeemed, that's the best news in the world. Make sure we understand this. Look down at verse 10 because there's a contrast. We're going to come back to verse 9 in just a second. That's the heart of it. I want you to see verse 10. It says, the contrast is this. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you received mercy. Look at the, you see the word once? That means in some time in the past, this was true about you. This was true about me. Sometimes in the past, this is true about all people. But there was a time where they received no mercy. Understand what it means when it says not a people. This is, this is speaking communally, corporately, not individually. That word means a non-person. That'll humble you, won't it? 
You know where he gets this from? Hosea. You ever read Hosea? You need to. <laughs> you hadn't. Hosea 1. God told one of his prophets to prophesy to the people because any idolatry in your life is spiritual adultery. And so to make that point, he told Hosea to go marry a prostitute. And remember, he'd bring her in and, and tell back. And so they had two kids. She would run off again and sell herself. He would go bring her back. And so they had two kids and he named them No Mercy and Not My People. You need to go back and read that sometime. You see, there's a cornerstone. And there's only living stones that make up the building. He's saying, once, you got that picture? Once you were a dead rock. I'm going to come back to that picture. Because I'm afraid we have defined what is the church by that rock right there. And our only purpose in life is to make sure our rock moves. This is the contrast he's saying. Once you were not a people. There was no building. There was no living stones. There was no cornerstone connecting it all and orienting it all. You see, mercy, you need to understand this this morning as the redeemed. And if you're here and you, you have not been redeemed, that mercy is synonymous with compassion. And mercy involves two things. It involves God's sympathy in your misery. It involves God's sympathy and compassion. It also involves the misery of your sin. The collision of those two things and God withholding the justice that you deserve. That is mercy. Mercy is what I pray to every week when I stand there before I dare stand up here and speak His word that He would give me mercy. Because I am not worthy to speak His word. And neither are you. But God, being rich in mercy because of His good pleasure saved us. You see, good pleasure is simply the movement of God's will that springs from His nature. Peter's getting to the point you're redeemed. Why? Because of God's love and mercy has redeemed you and now you have a purpose. Are you part of that people this morning? Before we get to the other half of the purpose, are you part of that people? Have you received mercy? I'm not asking you if you can quote me a catechism or a creed or even the Romans road. I'm asking you if you love God. With all of your heart, with all of your soul. Because if God has set his love on you, you will love him. 1 Peter 1, 3-5 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Are you part of that people? Because our redemption orients us. It orients to Christ. And when we are oriented to Christ, it does so for a clear purpose. So the Lord has redeemed a people with a clear purpose. What is that purpose? What is the goal of this new community? It's community that's been gathered together, oriented, centered on Christ. What is its goal? 
Why have you been redeemed into a community? For some of us, we just need to write that down and think about for the first time in our life that you have been redeemed into a community. You just haven't been redeemed to get out of hell. You've been redeemed to live life into a community. This is the Bible. This is Christianity. And so you have a point. You have a purpose. Look at verse 9, the end of it. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who calls you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That you, when you see that in the Bible, that means you're about to get a purpose. You're about to understand a why behind something. That you, look at this word. Love this word. It's, it's only in this place in the New Testament. Proclaim. All the other words, if you look it up, check behind me. This is, this is a different word. You know what this word means? It means to publish. It means to advertise. We talked about that a minute ago, wasn't we? It means to advertise. Here's what it means. To take something that's not known and to make it known. You ever thought about that? That's your purpose in life. To take it. It's not known among people. Why, do we, why, why would we ever go to a, the 1040 window where you might get your head cut off if you proclaim the gospel? Because it's not known. That's why we go. That's why one day somebody might, the Lord might tell you life is to make it known. To proclaim it. To proclaim what? It tells us the excellencies of Him. That's why we have gathered this morning. That's how we choose the songs that we sing. The ones that proclaim both the deeds and the nature of our Lord. I want you to sing and learn something of theology when you do. I want you to sing and I want you to understand before I even stand up here, Micah's charge is to make sure that he leads you to proclaim the gospel to yourself before we even get to the Word. That's the purpose. Why? Because that's our purpose. The heroic acts that Christ has done, his royal, kingly, priestly attributes, our job to declare them. Listen to what the NIV says this. The NIV translates this, that you may declare the praises of God. The New Living Translation translated that you can show others the goodness of God. So look at those different translations. Put it all together. It's what it's saying. We do it with how what we declare. Why? Because he has transformed you. Called you to be a witness to that transformation. 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. How? How has he given us all things that pertain to life and godliness? Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Same word. So let me pause for a second and, and help you understand why we as Baptists think the ordinances are important. Why are they important to you and to me and to the redeemed? God has set forth the Lord's Supper and baptism in a manner and an order that He has given us to be administered and dictated by His Word. It is a concrete expression of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we do it in order to proclaim His excellencies. 
That's what we do, and that's what we tell someone when we set that pool up, and they stand up and say, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. That's what they're doing. They're doing it through remembering the cross and the blood at the Lord's table and the resurrection at baptism. That's why we do it, and that's why we do it while we do it. We do it because the gospel and Christ and his redeeming work in our life must be proclaimed. Psalms 105.1 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord and call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples, all peoples. Wayne Grudem, I think it's on the screen. God's purpose in redeeming us is not simply our own enjoyment, but that we might glorify him. The answer to our search for ultimate meaning lies in declaring the excellencies of God, for He alone is infinitely worthy of glory. Redemption is ultimately not man-centered, but God-centered. So what is church? It's a redeemed community with a clear purpose. What is that purpose? To proclaim the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that involves, yes, what we do when we publicly gather. It, involve, it involves the priority of God's word, the preached word in our life and through our growth groups and through your life. It involves the ordinances. Yes, it does. Of course it does. But it also, listen, this is Peter's point, what he's getting to. It involves your life. This is how we declare with our mouths, publishing it, and with our very lives. The Lord has a redeemed people who live for his glory. So let's put all of verse 9, back to 1 Peter 2. Let's put all of that together. Again, let's read it. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So let's... Look here at the end of that. You see what he's done for the redeemed? And listen, the Lord just doesn't do this to some redeemed. He called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is important. There's two, and both of them, by kinds of spiritual darkness. Intellectual and moral. And both of them involves inability. You see... Intellectual spiritual darkness is ignorance. It is the inability to see and know truth. It is when someone, even when they read God's word, they don't understand it. 1 Corinthians 2, 14 to 15, it's not in your notes, says this, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. There is a form of spiritual darkness that is intellectual. They can't see it. And they can't know it. I see this all the time. When we, when we lay the truth of God's word that has the power enough to raise the dead and save the soul and it's simply not enough to fix your marriage. There's some darkness there and it's scary. It should scare you if that's you right now. There's also a moral darkness. And this also involves inability. The inability to see and do what is right. You see, here's the truth this morning. 
Either you are called and you're still in darkness or you've been called to light. Because darkness is this. Darkness is not that just we walked in darkness. Darkness is that we love darkness. It's not just that we find ourselves fallen into sin. It is that we love it. That's those who live in darkness. I know that I am redeemed. Why? Because that which I couldn't see, now I can see. That which I love, now I hate. That which I hate, now I love. This is what happens. So you cannot have a salvation that says, says God is my Lord and Savior, but He has not lordship over my life. For you either called into light or you are still in darkness. You see, this word calling is effectual. And effectual simply means that when God calls you, He produces the desired result. He called you out and in. You see it? Out of this, into that. Not out of something, into nothing. <laughs> Please don't try to do that. I'm going to stop this. It's not good enough. If you, if you pull something out, you've got to put something in its place. He called you out of darkness into his light. Colossians 1.13. Colossians 1.13 explains this. It also helps us a little bit understand this inability. Colossians 1.13. It says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. So we have darkness and then we have kingdom represented light. So what's the words here that's important? Domain. You see the word domain? That simply means power and authority. He has delivered us. You need to be delivered from something. Because darkness has... And here's what He does. He delivers us and then He transfers into what? Kingdom. What does that mean? It means the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. That's what it means. So he takes us out of the domain, the control of darkness, and he puts us in the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be redeemed. That's why we love to proclaim his excellencies, not only with our mouth, but also with our very lives. He says he brings us into his marvelous light. And any time you hear light, you ought to think John or 1 John. We could have went to either place. But we know John, verses 4 and 5, speaking of Christ, in him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The, light, the, the darkness has no power to overcome the light. So, now, back to 1 Peter 2. We're going to get to holiness. We're going to get to this 10 to 12 in another message. But I just want you to see it because it's part of your purpose. Verse 12. It says, based on this, against you is evil. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So what is he speaking to? 
He's saying, yes, your purpose in life is to proclaim the excellencies of him. But he's saying, Christians, those chosen, precious, royal priests, holy nation, you do this with your life. How am I living amongst the unbelieving? This is what he's getting to. This, should, this text should motivate us both in our proclamation and also our living. Why? Because here's the truth this morning. God will visit them. He will visit them. He will visit them whether they're in your family or in somebody else's family. He will visit them if they're on the other side of the world. He will visit them. And he either, either will visit them with the gospel to salvation or he will visit them with the promise of judgment. And this motivates us. Oh, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God now. Because listen to me, they will then. They will. They will bow to him on that day and it will be too late. Evangelism is only for this age. It's your purpose. We want them to glorify God now. So we go back to two pictures. We're going to go back and forth. Here's what I'm afraid of, brothers and sisters, that, that we feel like this rock. And that desert is sort of like life. I think that's in the Badlands or something where they try to figure out how these rocks move across the, the Badlands. and You can see the path. It's moved. It is making some progress. There's even, even other people on there. There's another rock. They're trying to make progress too. But listen, there's no wonder your life feels like a desert if that's what you think church is. If this is what we're doing, if the, my job is simply try to give you enough go juice so that you can make it through another week, there's something wrong. There's easier things to give you a placebo of a spiritual feeling than that. Show the other picture. Brothers and sisters, this is the church. This is the picture Peter's painting. This is the picture Jesus painted. This is the picture the apostles and the church fathers painted for what is church. We are living stones. And it ain't really about that little stone right there. And that stone understands. I'm part of a living community that's being built for one purpose, to bring glory and honor to the cornerstone. So here's the question. Am I redeemed merely to grow as an individual believer? Or are we redeemed to grow together into a dwelling place of God? I don't want you to take my word for it, and I hope you're going to see that over the next few weeks. But we're going to labor to slow down. As much as we love Psalms, this is important, brothers and sisters. Turn with me to Ephesians. We need to get this. I want you to see this is all through Scripture. This is the paradigm of Christianity. 
And if it's not yours today, if it's not mine, then we need to find a new pair of glasses. Ephesians 2, verse 16. Let's come back to that race issue. Let's come back to it. We need to. We still got a problem with it. Because, to see, the Jews and the Gentiles hated each other's guts. These issues aren't new. And so all of a sudden, we have this new covenant. We have Jews and Gentiles, people who are completely hated each other, coming into this same redeemed community, speaking to them. Ephesians 2, verse 16. Speaking about Jesus, how did Jesus impact that? One body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. But back to that picture of the cathedral. Look at verse 22. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Don't misunderstand me. Am I saying that you're supposed to grow individually? Yes. We just got through going through the spiritual disciplines because we believe that. And here's what I'm saying. I can make you a promise. I dare you if you're a married couple to test me. Take a month. Both of you need to agree to do this together. Take a month. And for a month, prioritize your spouse over yourself, both of you. I dare you to do it. I dare you to prioritize your spouse over yourself in every decision you make for one month. And at the end of that month, I can make you a promise your marriage will be healthier. You will be happier individually. You see, it's the same way in the Christian life. When I prioritize Tony's spiritual growth over mine, my spiritual growth skyrockets. When I get this single, single individualistic Christianity view of me and mine and my salvation and my family's growth and I forget about the body of Christ, you're going to be like that rock going through the desert. But when you understand God has redeemed you for a community to bring you together, you will grow. It will skyrocket in the and the body of Christ will grow, and we will all glorify God together. This is our purpose, brothers and sisters. The purpose of Battleground Community Church is to glorify God. And we will do it when we live in biblical community so that we might grow together and we might go together. Let's pray. What a text, Lord. It clearly tells me the proclamation of you and your glory and your sovereign, unchanging, infinite goodness worth our very lives to proclaim. Oh God, that we would leave here a grateful people, a transformed people, and a missional people. But Lord, what a privilege this morning to simply 
be able to get up as the church and gather together as your church together to proclaim together your excellencies. And so now, Lord, will you receive our worship? Not just in the next three to five minutes as we sing and then as we give, Lord, but would you receive our worship now as we live? Not in survival mode, but in mission mode. Lord, we need you. We need your mercy. We are aware of what we deserve. We are overwhelmed with the gospel this morning. Would you have set your love on us? What can we do but praise your name? What can we do but glorify you? So receive it today, Lord. Receive it now as we stand to our feet. In Jesus' name, stand and worship.